Good morning, everybody joining us now, joining us online. My name is Chris Payton. I'm the lead pastor here. And before we get into the text and scripture today, I want to remind you of a few things that is on the screen here that was just mentioned. First of all, next week, can you believe it? Easter's coming. It's so crazy. But Easter's not next week. Don't, don't hear me wrong. Next week is Palm Sunday, uh, which in our traditions in Christianity, um, maybe you grew up Catholic, understanding traditions, even just of church history, Palm Sunday was when Jesus came in with the palm branches on a donkey into the temple. And it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. We get to celebrate that next week with Pastor GU bringing an awesome, awesome word. You do not want to miss it. And for us, this begins a lot of festivities. The first one is we are going to both services mask optional. So we're excited to be able to do that. Feel like it's we're in a good place with our medical advisory team and such to be able to move forward. Aren't you glad we're really moving on? Uh, in some respect, more and more, praise the Lord. Yeah, a few claps. Some of you introverts are like, yeah, I'm not really looking forward to this at all. Um, so, uh, and that's how introverts talk. I'm not really into the in, in mood, right? Gee, you're an introvert. You're an introvert. Um, I'm an extrovert, so uh, which comes with extra. Okay, um, Palm Sunday. But the next thing for us is this is a big week. We don't like to just oh Easter and then move on. For us, it's a time of reflection. It's time of remembering, and we do this thing we call Journey to the Cross. Now we haven't been able to do it in a couple of years because it's an interactive experience where we literally take you through the stations of the cross from Gethsemane, Jesus praying into him being whipped and different things. And and listen, I know that can be tragic and hard, but that's the point. We need to see what Jesus went through and really take a time of reflection to see what it took to get to the resurrection that we get to enjoy on Easter Sunday. So we're inviting you out to Journey to the Cross. We'll actually be using our new building over here, and you will be able to come, attend, invite someone. We have invite cards. We'd love for you to come out, or if you're joining online, come on out. It's going to be a powerful three evening, three opportunities. You can sign up online, register, come on in Wednesday night. We also have Thursday night and then Friday beginning at noon. A lot of uh, kids are out of school and parents, so you might be, uh, might have some extra time. We want to encourage you, come through, invite someone, come a couple times because it is a great time to reflect, to think, and to really get into the story of Christ because it really builds an appreciation versus taking for granted what it is that Christ has done for us. So we want to invite you to come out and then Friday night we will have our Good Friday service with communion. We've got some special things um, for you, for us to reflect, all leading into Easter Sunday, which is going to be a powerful Sunday. We've got a photo booth and all this kind of stuff to join your family, to love on your family, and just to bless you. want to encourage you to come on out. Those are a few things coming up, and this is a big deal for us. So moving on into what we've been talking about the past couple weeks. We've been in this series called Generations, where we're looking at our passion and our vision for multiple generations, to be a multi-generational church, that this is long-term. We want to last 100 years from now, where it's not just about a man, a myth, or a legend. It's about Jesus, ultimately, and we want to see the next generation of young people, campus, young adults, campus, uh, youth, children, that they are a part of the vision and we get to be a part of developing something and having something that outlasts us. I don't know about you, but that's what life is about. 
Right now, we are but a vapor, but what God wants to continue to do and what he wants to do in the church to be salt and light is a generational calling. We've been talking about this, and we've told you about this building um, right over here that we were able to purchase, and part of this is also putting our, our money where our mouth is and asking everybody to be involved. This isn't just Chris's vision or my ministry thing. This is our goal, and what it is is to retrofit this building into children's space for Sunday, but even beyond that, we are looking to partner with a company called Lionheart Academy, and they, in essence, have a child daycare center that's affordable, that helps parents, that we want to be able to fund and have a place that doesn't just sit and wait for Sunday service, but is used all throughout the week. So this is a blessing to our city to reach families and ultimately to teach children at a young age the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our passion. And so we're investing in this. Listen, we're not investing right now in just our own thing, but something for our kids. And so this is what we're asking you to do. We have been asking you to pray, to ask, and then to give in faith. And we're asking everybody to participate in this uh, giving fund. And so the goal is to raise $2.1 million over the next two years. And we've talked to our bank, which is Frost Bank, and what they do for churches, the reason why we do things like two-year pledges, just in case you're wondering what this is, because many of you go, I don't do a two-year phone contract. I don't trust AT&T. I get it. I get it. But the two-year pledges is your pledge to the bank is as good as money in the bank to them. Uh, there's still some level of trust, praise God, in people and their word. And so they say, if we can get 50% even pledged, we can start uh, with a bridge loan. We can start already building and construction. So we're looking for asking people to pray and believe, how can you pledge and come in with us? Me and my wife, our, our elders, our staff are giving money, pledging, and asking God to bless it. But we want 100% participation, whether it's a little or a lot, and ask you to help us do this so that we can be a blessing to our city. Amen? So much juice. Okay, we've been talking though. This is our, the end of this series. So if you're new to our church, you're like, man, all y'all talk about is giving money. Well, we're not here just, just for that. Um, you just happen to come into this space in this moment, and we will continue to do this over the years. But we hope you, out of the abundance of what Christ is doing and the community that we're developing here as a church, want to fill a part of what we're doing as well. We started this series two weeks ago with the concept of believe and being able to sift through the lies that keep us from believing that God wants to do things through your life, that God can do amazing things through your life. And there's no if with God. He is able, but he's looking for people to step out and believe. And this isn't a prosperity gospel message, but it is a faith message that God does want you to extend your faith and believe that he can do great things. In order to do that, you have to sift through the lies that keep you, the half-truths that keep you from believing. Last week, my amazing intellectual beautiful redheaded spouse brought an amazing word about being love and love being an action not a feeling like our culture talks about falling in and out of love as if it is just an emotional roller coaster love is an action and ultimately love is a noun it's a person and she brought that into us and the love of God of who he is that he is for us and that as we receive his love we also get an opportunity to be love 
Today, I want to talk about being life. Life is something we all want more of. Life is something we want to not just live physically, but literally have a fulfilled life. We all desire purpose and life. And yet, there are some things that keep us from fullness of life. There are even counterfeit versions of life that we find ourselves drifting towards and falling into that seem at the time like life, but are not truly life. They are counterfeits. And that's how we fall into temptation. That's how we fall into a pseudo life. And today, I want to introduce with the first idea of what life is, according to Jesus, in John chapter 10. If you are open your Bibles, we're going to start here and then move to Luke chapter 4. But you can open your Bibles or check out the screen as we dive into God's word. John 10, 7 through 10 says this. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then here's the key verse. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The kind of life Jesus comes and he says is his mission. I came here. This is the reason I came here. To seek and save the lost, he says. But also here he says, to give you life. And not just a pseudo life. Or just to save your life. Like many of us come to the Lord initially maybe in an altar call or a church service or out in the streets when we've come to the bottom of ourself and the end of ourself and nothing's working out and we realize I need to be saved and we cry out to Jesus for a Savior. That is the beginning of life but not the end. The life Jesus offers is a life that has an end, that has a plus, that has an addition, and that is life abundantly. In fact, in uh, Frederick Hawke's Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, he shows this Greek word abundant means superabundance. The blessing of salvation with which Christ has distinctly different from false prophets and will give his believers. I love the idea. He says, there is a thief that pretends to be the door of your way to life. But he actually is just stealing and robbing your joy. He's thieving from you. He's like a parasite getting something out of you, but it's ultimately destroying and killing you. And he says, but I'm the only one. He literally puts himself in that category. I'm the door. I'm the only one. Not only that protects you and enters into the sheepfold. This is the picture that he's giving is sheep would be, be surrounded, have like a mountain behind them or have something behind them. And they would create, the, a good shepherd would create a gate. But then oftentimes the shepherd would lay and be the door. 
of the gate to make sure if any wolves come in or any thieves come in to try to get the sheep, he is the one that is keeping the sheep protected. But then also he says not only for your protection, for your salvation to give you life, literally to save your life, but then he opens up and he says also to come in and out of pasture. He wants to give life to the fullest the super abundance that it's not just just good enough for me, but overflowed. But not overflowed for your excess, overflowed for you to exceed and give life to others. This is how beautiful the life of Jesus is. In fact, it starts with God in a garden that he a world that he creates in Genesis 1, 2. He creates man and humanity, and here's what the scripture says: He breathes life into humanity, into man, into Adam. And that life, out of that breath of God into man, you and you and you and me were created. God's life is so super abundant that it continues on just like we know the universe is continuing to expand with his word, with his life He brings life, but so much so, it carries on to more and more life and will continue in infinity. This kind of life, Jesus says, I'm trying to bring back because you've been living in a pseudo life where things are stealing and killing and destroying you. It feels like life, like the garden, the tree, it looked good to them and they ate it and it brought death. Death of relationships, Death between them and God, them and each other, between them and themselves. This is why you struggle so much internally. internally. And death ultimately between us and nature. But Jesus said, listen, what I came to do is so much more than just get you to heaven. I came here to bring heaven on earth. And I'm looking for a people that live that kind of life and not fall into the pseudo, the counterfeit life that the enemy brings. Here's the takeaway for Jesus's mission. Jesus's mission is not just to save your life. He also gives you new life in abundance in order to bless others. That's the kind of life he says he brings. Now, that's good truth, and we could go away today and say, thank you, Jesus. Or we can go, why is it then, if that's true, Especially if you're a believer in here. Why is it then, do I keep falling for counterfeit life? We're talking about being life. Not just having a life or being saved, having a saved life, but being full of life in my time, my treasure, my talents, my gifts. That God is more than enough. Why don't I experience that? Well, I'm going to invite you to Luke chapter 4. And before we get there, Luke chapter 3, Jesus has not started any ministry yet. He goes and he gets baptized in water by John the Baptist. And he comes up out of the water. And the Bible says that the, the Spirit is hovering like a dove. The Holy Spirit's not a dove. He is a person. He's a part of the Godhead. But it says like a metaphor, like there's a, the idea of peace has come over the place, and people can sense it and know it, and God literally says from the heavens, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Here's the beautiful thing. He hasn't even done anything yet in ministry. 
He hasn't accomplished anything, and yet God gives him the identity of sonship and that he's pleased with him already because that comes from relationship and identity. And he comes out of the water and hears this voice. And here's what's crazy. Here's where we get to Luke chapter 4. Many of us have had experience with God or had maybe you got a promotion at work, something that made you feel so amazing and like every, the, the, the universe is for me, everything's great. And then boom, you end up in a desert. Anybody else been there? And this is exactly what it says God does. He doesn't speak those things into us then to, for us just to live a utopian easy life. Oftentimes he speaks those things to prepare us to battle the temptations that will come that he will even lead us into, not because he tempts us, but because he is testing us to make sure we are continuing to choose his kind of life and not counterfeit life. Check this out. Luke chapter 4. Let's read it together, verse 1 through 14. And Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized, right? And was led, guided by the Spirit in the wilderness or the desert. For 40 days being tempted by the devil. Thanks, God. Appreciate that. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, to you I will give all this authority and all their glory for it has been delivered to me. And I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Beautiful words of Scripture. Now, if you know the Bible somewhat, you would recall another temptation specifically where there was Uh, an adversarial type figure in a garden tempting people to get away from two different trees, a tree of life and not a tree of death, actually, a tree of knowledge of good and evil, doing things your own way, coming up with your own morality and your own way to live. And the temptation to leave this fullness of life, to eat of this different tree. 
And we know Adam and Eve representing us all have fallen. Each one of us have fallen as well. And Jesus comes on the scene full of the spirit of God, full of the purpose of God, knowing what he's called to do and begins his ministry by testing his character, not just uplifting his gifts. And he gets his character tested in the desert, led by the Holy Spirit, where the enemy comes in and uses the exact same method he used on Adam and Eve with very similar questions to try to offer him a counterfeit way of life instead of the fullness of life that he knew he offered. I want to show you and call these temptations life drifts. How do we drift away from the trueness and what truth and reality is that God offers in this fullness of life into a counterfeit way. Typically, it is a drift. It's not, it's, it's not just one decision. It's many things that end up having us fall into this way. Let me show you, going verse by verse, I'm going to define all this, and then we're going to come back and explain it. Here we go. The first temptation we see in verse 3 is the temptation of appetite. This temptation was, was the temptation for Jesus to become his own provider. I will provide for myself. I will supply my needs, and I will be satisfied in and of myself and my decisions. Trying to meet his own needs. That's the appetite. And we see this. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, as God just said at your baptism, if you really are, then command this stone to become bread. Look at what you could do. Fulfill your desires, your satisfaction, and your needs through your appetite. And we all have this, and we'll talk about this. We have specific issues that we deal with with the idea of appetite. And this isn't just your physical, but it's emotional, your mental, your spiritual appetite that needs to be needed maybe overneeded, that needs to be satisfied, maybe overly satisfied. This can be in kind of two different platforms, areas of need and satisfaction, like greed and poverty. They're the same issue of appetite. If you're really, really greedy, you've got to have more and more and more and more and more and more. And if you have a poverty mindset, that on the other end of the spectrum is the same idea of a lack, not just a need to get more appetite, but this is what's going to satisfy me versus that. And we can fall into either one of these pits. The main core issue of appetite, though, I want to pose to you is fear. Here's what fear says when we fall into this drift that Satan was trying to tempt Jesus with. It says, I'll never have enough. See, Adam and Eve had the same temptation when when. They saw it and it was delightful to the eyes. It looked good. It seemed like it, that's going to fulfill my need. That's going to satisfy my desire. But what happened as they ate it, it created fear in them. And the reason why they even got to that idea is because they had the idea in their thought, I'll never have enough. That God's withholding something for me. I need to get something else. God is not enough. The tree of life is not enough. I need something else. And this was the temptation. You need that bread, Jesus. God is not enough. God will not provide for you. You need to provide for yourself. It's fear. Jesus resists. How does he do it? The word of God. This is why we're so passionate about the word of God. 
You know, there's a lot of words and ideologies and philosophies out there. But the word of God will last forever. It is foundational. It is the thing that we feed our spirit on in order to learn how to think, how to act, how to react, how to respond. Jesus uses it brilliantly. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Fear says, I'll never have enough. Jesus says, God will meet my needs. He combats that lie, that pseudo life with true life and trust. He says, I'm choosing to trust God and his daily bread. Now, let's go to the next one. And again, we're going to come back and talk about how this works. The temptation, the next one, is not just of appetite, but now of ambition. Notice, the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. First of all, he has the audacity to proclaim that. But notice Jesus doesn't correct him. Jesus recognized he stole, he killed, he destroyed and took it from who God gave it to at the garden. And so he did have it. This is one of the reasons why Jesus came back, to take it back for us to glorify God with, to honor God with. This is a missing link a lot of us have in the idea of Christianity, of just coming to the altar and getting saved, but not recognizing you're not just being saved and then might as well just go to heaven. God is saving you, yes, now, not just to take you to heaven, but to now place heaven in you to bring heaven on earth with Jesus. That's the super abundant life. Now, not by yourself, with Jesus, with him empowering you, strengthening you. He doesn't refute what the devil said. He doesn't say, no, you don't have, that's a lie. The lie wasn't what he said. It was the trust he was trying to bring in Jesus. And he, the lie of ambition says this. You get to justified ends by any means necessary. Ambition does this. The devil is trying to get Jesus to get the kingdom without the cross. Typically, ambition is not a bad thing in and of itself, but the lie, if you don't mix it with the right understanding of what God wants to do with ambition, the lie that we fall into, that we drift into, is that we want to win at all costs. We will cut corners at all costs. The issues here are both weakness and strength. And so you find your strength and your ambition, like you're what you do really well at work, and I'm really good at this, and I'm ambitious, and people love me, and that's my identity around ambition. But then when you get to a weak spot, you don't know what to do with weakness, so you have to cover it, you have to hide it, you have to overcompensate for it. Here's the core issue of ambition, though, is guilt. And here's what guilt says. I'll never accomplish enough. I'll never be able to fully do, because maybe you got that promotion, you got all that thing, and you feel really good, but it's still not enough. It's why we see even in our society the, the, the greatest people that rise to the top and the, the power and the ambition, everything that they have, and then it's still not enough. 
And on the inside, the lie I'll never be able to accomplish. And now if you see this with Adam and Eve, the same temptation says that the fruit looked good and it was profitable for wisdom. In other words, you need something more than what God is going to provide for you. Here's how Jesus resisted it. We read it. He said, he used the word again, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So what does Jesus say to guilt? I'll never accomplish enough. Jesus says, God will fulfill my desires. I'm trusting in him. My hope is in him. Here's the last one, approval. In this life drift, this temptation that we see the devil bring is in approval. And here's what it says. And then he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, again, he's going at his identity. If you really are who God says you are, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, the, the devil ain't dumb. Oh, you're going to re- bring the Bible? People are really good at bringing the Bible, making it say what it doesn't say, to trick you enough. The devil knows the word, but he doesn't know the word experientially. He says, here's the word. How about this? In Psalm, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. It's a half-truth. It's true. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. This idea of approval, this drift of faux life into approval, is this idea, throw yourself down if you are the son of God. But here's the deal, this temptation to become the Messiah everyone wants you to be. Everyone's looking for this glorified Messiah, this figure that's going to literally fly out of the temple and be fine and get up, and then everybody's going to worship you and love you. This idea of approval we've all felt, just be what people want you to be. That's the temptation. Be what everybody wants you to be. But that can go both ways. That can go if when people approve, it's never enough. I need everyone to like me. Or the other side of the coin is I don't care what anybody thinks. That is still an approval drift. Because now you're a jerk, okay? You can't go to that extreme. Here's the deal. How did Jesus resist it? The core issue, first of all, of this is shame. We see Adam and Eve deal with this when he tells them, you can be like God. They didn't know they were already in the image of God. They didn't eat from that truth. They went, oh, God is doing something different. God is withholding something from me, so I'm not enough in myself. I'm not enough for my spouse, others. I'm not enough for God, and I need more approval. And listen, the core issue is shame. I'll never be enough. How does Jesus resist? And Jesus answered him, it is said, I'll trump my word with your word. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus says, God's acceptance makes me enough, while shame says, I'll never be enough. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Let's look at, real quick, now let's do some work. Okay, this is going to take some introspection. Are you ready? You you thought you were just going to come to church, be entertained, and move on. That is not real church. Church is engaging God, challenging yourself, and glorifying Jesus. Here we go. The number one thing we looked at, we looked at appetite, 
which is the core issue of fear. I'll never have enough ambition. I'll never accomplish enough. Core issue of approval, shame, I'll never be enough. I'll be real honest with you. My one that I kind of lean into the most, like all of them are danger. My one that I lean into the most probably is approval. And most pastors I know it is this way. Because every week we've got to stand up and issue a challenge or issue something and you just judge us. Like literally, like, ah, I don't know about that. Is that really what the Hebrew says? Bro, I don't know. I mean, I will get like people on our Google that like psychoanalyze me and I'm reading like, dang, I didn't realize how racist I was. I really, thank you so much. I had no idea I mistreated the Bible because you heard a 10 minute clip of what I believe. That's everything I believe. Thank you so much. Okay. That, that's me. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. That approval. I want to be liked by everyone. Love me, love me, say, right? I want that. You're welcome, son, my son. I, I, I just, I mean, that is my, I, I mean, I fall into appetite, of course. I fall into ambition, of course. But, man, I, I just want us to get along and, and trust that I'm for you. Like, I'm not trying to make a lot of money. I'm not trying to do this for some other reason. I literally love God and love people. Judge me by my family, if anything. Look at my family. That's why you're supposed to judge pastors, by the way, it says. If you can't run your family well, you shouldn't run the church. Judge me by my, my, my gifting, uh, maybe. But, man, get to know me, and I just, I want to be liked. I want you to approve. But it can, and, and that's a health, that's a can-be healthy thing. But when it drifts, it turns into shame. I'll never be enough. So I've got to hide. And typically what happens, I've found in my life, I will then, if I'm not feeling approved, that shame overtakes me, and I will overcompensate with ambition. I'm just going to work really, really hard. I get stressed out, and I turn into perfection mode. And now I'm, I'm kind of an angry elf, right? Like, it's, it's not working out for me there. And I'm, I'm mad. I'm like, we got to get all this together. And I go into ambition. And again, ambition in, in itself is not bad. Approval in itself is not bad. Appetite is not bad. It's what you're feeling it with. Filling it with. I will easily fall into ambition. Work really hard because then if I work really hard, then people will see and approve me. Now, I'm telling you how I am. You need to think about how you are. Because I've also seen areas in my life when I don't feel like approval. I've, I've gotten to the end of my ambition and I'm exhausted and then I get apathetic. And then I easily run into appetite. Well, I need to buy something new. Thanks, Jeff Bezos. Or even worse, man, Bluebell cookies and cream ice cream is so good. And I indulge too much. Now, I'm being honest. In front of everybody, Google me later. What about you? What's your proclivity? What's your leaning into? Where you buy the lie? Because here's the thing. You'll really in and of yourself never be enough. You'll really in and of yourself never do enough, accomplish enough. And listen, you're never going to have enough. 
There's an endless pit in your heart that is like a black hole that just consumes everything. When you believe the lie of the enemy. See, when you believe the lie of the enemy, you actually empower the enemy in your life because he has no other power but what we give him now. And in the same way, when we believe God in faith and who he is, that he's not just right, but he's good, we empower God to use us in our life. And the beautiful thing, the enemy steals from you like a parasite, like cancer. And at first, it might feel like life, but then it ends up in death of shame, of guilt. And Jesus does the opposite. I love what author, writer, theologian David wrote. Dave Rose says, he says this, what Jesus resisted in the desert personally, he defeated at the cross permanently. Think about that. We can read the scripture and go, man, yeah, Jesus used the word, so I need to use the word. Jesus, like, trusted in God, but I need to do it. Here's, here's, here's the bad news. You'll never be able to do it. All right, have a good day. <laughs> My job is to define reality and offer hope. Here's the reality. Life's hard. You're always going to find yourself drifting from one thing to another, trying to fulfill your life with pseudo-life. Always. And you weren't meant to do it on your own. No character ever did it. You can go through all the scripture. You see Adam and Eve falling. You see Jacob and Esau. Esau gave up his birthright for a meal. How many people do we know that do that? Give up their identity just for one more high, one more thing, one more feeling, appetite. Jacob, his brother, ambition. Ambition, go for it. The lie. Moses himself. I mean, you go through every character of the Bible. No one could do it because we were never meant to do it alone. The moment we sin, God had a plan of salvation. And Jesus comes on the scene. This is why you, we might sing some of the same songs every week and it doesn't get old because it's an amazing Jesus that we serve. And Easter's coming up where we get to glorify and say, we could never have done that. And I know because I look at my life and we're constantly looking for a new person or a new pastor or a new celebrity to do it. And they can't either. Only Jesus not only resisted personally in the desert, but ultimately permanently defeated so that now we can through him. Easter is so much more than just your personal salvation, but it is also what God is doing in our life collectively. Look at this. At the cross... In regard to appetite, Jesus becomes needy so we can be satisfied. Jesus said, I have need of drink. And they gave him bitter vinegar and wine mix. God of the universe who breathed this life chose 
to be needy, knowing for the joy set before him, he would see this and have life given to us. He did what we couldn't do. In regard to ambition, Jesus becomes weak so we can be strong. His weakness, the, the fact that he could have jumped off the temple and everybody would have, oh my gosh, it's God. But instead, we have an image of a cross, which scripture says is foolishness to the world. You don't die to live. You fight for your right. Half-truth. But we see a Jesus, all-powerful. One of my favorite things we talk about in marriage is looking at Jesus on the cross, and he literally tells his disciples, you know with a word I could have all the angels come and destroy everybody, right? That brings it to a whole nother level. He stayed on the cross. He stayed. Maybe you have a bad marriage. Maybe you have bad things going on. And you look at Jesus and his weakness. He's so strong. Because we want to get out of all of our circumstances that we don't like. And he could have, but he said no. When he's weak, he allows us, even in his weakness, to see strength. And he gave us that strength. In regards to approval, Jesus becomes rejected so that we can be accepted. The Bible says that God had to literally turn his face, not because he's like, ooh, Jesus, you're gross right now. But because the Bible says what's happening spiritually to Jesus is he didn't just have your sin come on him. It said he became sin. He became that death. He became that guilt and that shame so that now we can enter into new life. He was rejected so the Father would never have to reject us as long as we come to Him through the power of His Son. This is what Jesus offers. This is what it means to be life. And here's the final takeaway. Jesus' abundant life overcomes the appetite that brings fear, the ambition that brings guilt, and the approval that brings shame. I talked to a couple after service and I haven't seen them in a few weeks. And I was like, hey, it's good to see you. And they're like, yeah, you know, we've had a lot going on. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not saying that to shame you. I'm glad to see you. I think God feels the same way. I'm not calling you to me to shame you. I want to give you life. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, the thief says, come to me, all you who are ambitious and, and, and weary, and I will give you work. Jesus says, no, you can rest in me. I accept you. And then out of that, listen, it's, it's that. It's not like, okay, well, I can do whatever I want now because Jesus accepts me. He loves me, so I can just live however I want. And my thing, no, see, when you understand what Jesus has done, you live from a place of acceptance now, not for acceptance. And you go, wow, how could the God of the universe do that for me? I know who I am. You know all of me, the evil, the, the grossness in me. And yet you accept me. Now that makes me go, I give my life my all. Now I want your way, your truth. I want to eat of the fruit of your life and not of 
the tree of knowledge of good and evil, going my own way, defining my own path. I want to follow you. Father, we thank you. Will you pray with me? We thank you, God, for your great life that you offer, that you give. God, it's so much greater than anything the world can give, Lord, as we just try to consume and consume. You come and you fill that vacuum. You fill that void. You fill not just enough for us to be whole, but then to overflow into other people, God. With your head bowed and your eyes closed as we start to shut down. I just want you to think about yourself for a moment. Where have you bought a lie? Where have you eaten from something that is not truly life? See, there's two things. The, clo- the, the, the faster you can recognize that in yourself and the faster then you can recover and correct it, that's called discipleship. That's called growing in the Lord. Oh, oh I believe that lie again, and now we recover with the gospel truth. That's how we grow and we get closer and closer to recognizing and recovering because it's a daily thing to trust in Jesus. Maybe today you're struggling with shame and guilt, fear. And the Lord says, in a moment, I can replace that. You know, if we were a gym, we couldn't tell you, hey, just do a few burpees and you will be strong tomorrow. But the beautiful thing is that the Spirit of God within us in a moment can completely renew you and change you because there's no limits to the Spirit of God. There's no limits to what He wants to do in and through you that even in a moment of recognition and recovery, He can make you new and leave with peace that you didn't work for, but you just abandoned other things and said, God, I'm going to taste and eat and see that you are good. That's our salvation. That's our constant continuum of being in relationship with Jesus. If you're here and you have fear, you have shame, you have guilt, lay it aside by looking at the cross and seeing what God did permanently for you.